0: Good morning to you. Welcome to Community Hour. It's Thursday, today being the 6th of April, 2006. I'm Matilda Gaviva. Nice to be with you again another day. It's a scorcher here in the capital city. Very, very hot. We have with us Justin. So we'll be saying good morning to him in in a moment. But just have a listen to this first. It'll probably give you a fair idea about what we're getting into today.
1: New Guinea is a captivating place, seemingly untouched by the passage of time. During World War Two, it was the front line of the Pacific War. Its islands are dotted with relics. One wreck stands out as stunning in both its remarkable intact condition and important role in history. It is known as the Swamp Ghost. For the past years, the Swamp Ghost has come to haunt me. I first saw photos of the bomber in a book by Charles Darby. These photos showed a bomber that was completely intact and were the kind of pictures that captured one's imagination, haunting you. I dreamed about one day visiting this ghost myself.
0: The swamp ghost. Justin, good morning.
1: Morning, morning, True.
0: Where are you from, by the way?
1: I'm uh, American. My um, grandfather was a soldier here during the war, and my grandfather was in the U.S. Army. He was based here in Port Moresby, and then a good enough island, and then he also fought in Irian Jaya in the Philippines. He talked to me growing up about this place called New Guinea, Mm -hmm. and the people he had met there, and he showed me photos of the beautiful things and places he saw but, of course, it was wartime, and he didn't have much time to enjoy the country. Mm. So he always dreamed about coming back.
0: All right. When did you find out about the Swamp Ghost?
1: I came to New Guinea on a trip with my grandfather in 1993. It was amazing to see all these relics from the war still here, and all these things from the war still left. And I learned about all the different airplanes and history that was here in PNG. And one airplane called the Swamp Ghost really captivated me because it was completely intact just like the war left it, and just like the war happened yesterday. It has the glass in the cockpit, everything is still there, and it looks like a ghost because it's this object sitting in a swamp of kunai grass. Tell us about this war wreck, the swamp ghost. What sort of a plane is it? It's an American bomber called a B-17. It had four engines and it had a crew of nine people in this case, two pilots a navigator, a radio operator, a bombardier, and the rest were gunners. So all these men were flying this very big airplane. And it's very unique because it participated in the first bombing mission in PNG. During the war, there were thousands of missions flown by the Americans, Australians, and Japanese. But this was the first time that America had a bombing mission. And it took off from Townsville in Australia, and it flew all the way to Rabaul. It encountered rough weather... And after dropping its bombs, and it was in a uh, battle, and it had used up all of its fuel, so by the time it got to the north coast of New Guinea, at Oro Province, it was low on fuel, and the pilot knew he had to land his airplane. But there was no airfield there, so he looked at the terrain, and he saw a flat area near the coast, near Pongani, and he thought it was a field of uh, um, grass, and he put the bomber down there. But what he didn't realize... Was, was the wet season, and underneath all that kunai grass was a swamp. So the airplane came for a very soft landing. Nothing was damaged, no one was hurt. And you can imagine the surprise of this crew, who had never even been to New Guinea before. They look outside and they realize they were in a swamp in the middle of nowhere.
0: And it was in the middle of kunai grass as well. So what happened from there? So they exited, didn't they?
1: This mission was flown on February 23, 1942. They were completely unprepared. They had no uh, supplies and equipment. They didn't even know really what to do. They knew they couldn't stay with the airplane, so they decided, well, we'll try and walk to the direction of some hills where there must be higher ground and and land. And since it was February, it was the wet season, and the water was very thick, sometimes only um, knee-deep, other times waist-deep. And you can imagine for these young men from America, they were all... My age, I'm 28 years old, and some of the crew were as young as their early 20s. They had no idea what they were getting into, and they heard crocodiles, and they saw birds, and they started to walk away from the airplane. But they left everything there. Soon they were lost. They had no idea where to go, and the trip was very hard. At night, they had to sleep in the swamp, and during the daytime, very bright sun, so they quickly became sunburned and sick, and they walked around for three nights and three days until finally they saw some villagers. They saw these people, and they ran away. They were afraid of these white men. But soon they came back, and luckily these people from the Ambiago swamp, they brought these men to their village, and they agreed to help them.
0: Did the crew have any idea where in the country they had actually gone down, do you think?
1: They knew that they were on the north coast of New Guinea, um, and they knew that they were a long way from Port Moresby. So yes, they knew generally where they were, but... Like uh, everybody knows, when you look on a map of P&G, it looks very flat and easy. And when you're on the ground walking, it's very hard to uh, get around. So they knew generally where they were.
0: All right. So how long did they stay with the villagers before they were able to get out of there?
1: That's a very interesting part of the story. And to me, it's the most interesting because it involves the people of P&G. Many people have written histories about the American or Japanese side, but few people also learn about the heritage of Papua New during the war and the people there if it wasn't for their help these men probably would have died first thing they did is they gave the people food to eat and the Americans even to this day they remember this strange food they ate that 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 shook like jelly and was called sack sack they had never eaten it before and each one was worried you know what is it but when they put it in their mouth and ate it they liked the taste and it was the first food that they had eaten in three days so they spent the night there and again, the Americans remembered uh, stories of how at night, all the men of the village would stand around them and just watch them sleeping to protect them. And also very curious of how these nine people from America had arrived there. And the Americans, you know, they gave some things to the people, they gave them money and um, souvenirs, but they really didn't know much about the people at that time. But they were, even to this day, very thankful to those people because they admit that they saved their life. And the next day, they took them in their canoes down the river, called the Yuripuri River, to the coast, and then brought these men to the resident magistrate, who was an um, Australian, and he helped them to get all the way back to Port Moresby.
0: The account that you've just given seems to be very, very detailed. Surely you must have spent quite some time with the crew, probably with the villagers. So just tell us about that mission in your life.
1: In order to learn anything about history, you have to do research. Like I said, when I first became interested in this airplane, I had no idea where it would take me. It took me all the way back to this actual village and is now in a place called Karaisa. And I met one old man in the village, now one of the chiefs, and he told me the story about these Americans when they came, how he remembered the airplane going overhead, and what they looked like, you know, stories from a young boy's perspective. And I was able to shake his hand and through that experience learned their side of the story. And of the Americans, the nine crew members, they all survived the war. Now that it's been many years since the war, only three are still alive. I wrote them letters and then finally visited each one and learned their story. When I asked them about the village, I could show them photos of the people. Brought back many memories.
0: How did you stumble upon the story about the first bomber in the first place?
1: The more I learned about it, I learned how historic and important this wreck was the fact that it was on the first American bombing mission, the fact that over Rabaul, it was the first time that Japanese Zeros or fighter planes had been used to intercept it. So it was all of these different firsts. It's also the last airplane wreck left in the world that's completely intact. As you know, many other airplane wrecks or relics from the war, they're broken or damaged or not very impressive. This one, despite all of the passage of time 64 years ago, it's still completely intact. The only thing that have been removed are the machine guns um, and some of the instruments in the cockpit by souvenir hunters. The people who live in that area have always protected this plane. They have not put any graffiti on it, they have not cut it up for scrap metal. And that to me is very amazing because it shows their knowledge that it's unique and important. And I can tell you for a fact there's no other plane like it in the rest of PNG. And there's no other plane like it in you know, America or Australia or anywhere else in the world, and that's why it's so exciting. Because this airplane is a real asset to PNG, just like the Mount Hagen Sing Sing or the Bird of Paradise. It's something you can only find in this country.
0: You've been back home, back to PNG, uh, about six times now. Well, from the first visit, do you think that the attitude of the villagers towards this wreck is—is is it probably a bit of awareness on your part that has helped or created this sort of attitude?
1: The people, obviously, are the ones who have looked after it for the longest time. I only visited there for the first time in 2003 and returned in 2005 because they knew some parts of the story, but not all of it, that maybe that has raised their awareness and understanding about it. It was their invitation that allowed me and other tourists to visit this airplane. And, of course, we made um, donations to the village. These donations didn't go just to the big man or one person and inside his pocket, But the people said, we want to build a school, half of it to save for this project, and the other half for uh, our expenses. So it's amazing to me. The uh, community of a village in Papua New Guinea, so amazed by that. And I said to the local people, I promise you that I will do everything I can to help you with this idea for a school. Because Mm. also my parents are teachers. I felt very moved by this request to help them. The
0: period where you brought some tourists back to the village, was that the very first visit that these villagers had from tourists from abroad?
1: everywhere in PNG tourism is happening now and the people who want to come to PNG they don't want to stay in a fancy hotel they want to stay in village guest house they want to go to sing sings and see things in the bush or from the war that are part of the history of this country they wanted to go to this place called Karaisa. they were people who raged in range from 27 to a man who was um, 68 years old and all of them walked about 1.7 kilometers across the um that same kunai grass directly to the wreck with the help of the local people we went in a straight line on a path they had already cut so it was not as hard as the uh, wartime trek the crew made all of them were just amazed and when we left the village and they had done a amazing welcoming for us every one of them was crying they were so happy and all of them gave many things um uh, donations and gifts to the villagers and some, including myself, still keep in touch even to this day. And that, that's amazing.
0: How did you manage to get this group of guys or people? I've only seen guys on your photo, by the way, but people from, I know it's not just Australia, but also from New Zealand and probably America. How did you get in touch with all of them and arrange for this one trip?
1: Tilda, if you ever want to go to visit it, you could be the first uh, female visitor to visit this uh-huh. wreck. <laughs> um, group of people, there's a fishing resort nearby called the Benderota Lodge. It's owned by the local people of Benderota Village, black bass fishing in their rivers. And with the help of an expatriate named Dale McCarthy, for some of the funding, they developed a resort at their island, bush material houses, and uh, some amenities like a generator and so forth. But people now come from all over the world to go to this place. It's because the local people now have this benefit. And all these people who visit, and that is where... Our tourists were able to stay there and use their boat to go up to um, the Karaisa village.
0: So how many exactly were they?
1: There was a total of nine people. Visiting the swamp ghost was their highlight.
0: How did you go about that, and what was their reaction when the visitors arrived?
1: I expected, oh, we would just go there and shake hands with people and say hello and then go about our, uh, visiting the aircraft. But what I didn't realize is during that week, they had decided to throw a huge welcoming. And as you saw, many people were in traditional clothing um, they had all their canoes in the water, even a mock battle, and it was just amazing to see. They had their PNG flag, they had some American flags, and uh, like I said, everyone was just blown away.
0: Communication for, between you and probably the village elder or the chief, the first time you met him compared to today, how has it been? I, I know that now he'd be acquainted to you and you to him, but the first time, how did you communicate and how can you compare it to
1: at present? The people there were really taking a risk by saying, who are these people, what are they going to do? This is a remote area of PNG, but it's not inaccessible. It's only um, 20 kilometers from Oral Bay, so many people potentially can go there. And I believe, if promoted the right way, more and more tourists from all over the world will want to go there. As you know, many people walk the Kokoda Trail and they finish up in Papandeta.
0: Now, the real issue, I guess, there is a problem, isn't there? Some sort of a controversy. Please explain exactly what's happening at the moment.
1: I talked a little bit about the tourism side of this airplane. There's another side as well. Um, since this airplane was first rediscovered in the 1970s, it immediately created worldwide attention among people who are interested in airplanes and salvaging them and restoring them. And many people have wanted to remove this plane from PNG and bring it to a place like America and fix it up or display it. This airplane, of course, is a very historic, and it's arguably it's priceless. Other airplanes like it in America sell for millions of dollars. A B 17 is worth maybe 5 million US dollars, maybe uh, 15 million Kina. So you can imagine that these people um, who are interested in salvage, when they see that airplane, to them it's something that they want very badly. In the 1980s, people had approached the PNG Museum for permission to salvage it, but they were not granted permission. And the basis uh, of that denial was that this was an important relic for PNG. It was an icon of the war. There was really not much interest in salvaging it, but very recently a new person, someone from America, and an Australian um, salvager, they want to recover this airplane, take it from the swamp. They say, well, it's going to fall apart, it's inaccessible, and it's better to take it away from P&G. And they've offered the uh, museum and the government a sum that's far lower than it's actually worth, um, but they claim of should just be removed so it could be protected. Uh, of course, the decision of whether it should be salvaged or stay in PNG is that of the PNG people mm. and the government. Um, I am only a, a visitor in your country and um, but I feel very strongly that I need to speak up and remind people that this is an object that is very valuable. If they do choose to sell it, they should get its true value. Mm. And the, even the rules of the museum say that PNG should get fifty percent, half the value, of an object when it's restored. So if this airplane is worth 5 or 8 million dollars in a US dollars, the PNG should get at least maybe 2 or 3 million US dollars. Mm. And that's a lot of money. So my view is if they want to sell it it must be for the right reasons and the right value.
0: In actual fact, what happens is that when these people who are interested in, in salving, salvaging it actually get the okay, they take it away from here and we don't see it again.
1: That's correct. It
0: becomes their property?
1: All the relics in PNG are owned by the state, the government. Of course, the local people, the landowners, and everything else are the ones that are entitled to compensation if they're removed. But you're right. They are proposing to take this airplane away. From I should note that many airplanes have been salvaged from PNG since the war some of them were smelted into but today they're very rare and unique And there's still hundreds in this country but most of them are crashed um, only pieces or broken up and the airplanes that are completely intact are very very valuable worth millions of dollars um, in museums or they're even considered priceless it's like since so many planes have already been salvaged from this country in the 1980s and 90s and even up to this uh, up to last year I would like to see the museum and the government say that some of them must stay here because PNG and the people need these monuments to their history as well. Um, There are plenty of B-17s like the swamp ghost in museums all over the world, but there's not one that's left just the way the war left it.
0: What's the idea like for tourists? Do you like to have whatever it is that you're visiting, in this case the wreck, accessible easily, you know, next to services, the village for example? Or is it a lot more exciting to have it inaccessible so that it actually takes an effort for you to get there?
1: That's a very good question, and and the answer is a little bit of both. The reason the Swamp Ghost is so exciting is because it's complete. Although it's located near a village, uh, it's a bit of an effort to get there. But that, like you said, is part of the adventure. It's the same reason why people walk the Kokoda Trail, very hard walk. But it's because they're paying tribute to history and they're seeing all the places along the way that are related to that history. It's really a combination of both.
0: You also mentioned and only because you mentioned the government if if it or the National Museum, if it does decide to actually let this wreck go, um, swamp ghost, that it should do a couple of things, you know, thoroughly, probably do some research and, and give it its real value or its real worth. Where exactly do we find its real worth? You know, you've been around, so easy for you to say. What about us here? How do we know that's for right. sure?
1: The statistic that I was giving you about the museum is entitled to 50% of its restored value is not something I made up. That's in the, the museum's charter. It's um, the Museum Act, it directly says that in there, and uh, registries about airplanes and what their values are, especially an airplane like the Swamp Ghost that's so historic and so intact. There's none other like it in the world. It's really priceless. You can't even put a dollar value on it, but I would say conservatively it's worth five to eight million dollars.
0: What's the reaction of the villagers? I mean do they know that this is happening?
1: For the villagers it's a very different question, because although the salvagers pay their money to the museum and Wygani, that money then gets divided between the Wygani, the province, and only a small portion, maybe a third of it, goes to the local people. So Even though big uh, amounts of money they may think are involved, in the end, it's a smaller amount of compensation that they get.
0: And a one-off payment.
1: And I'm very worried as well. If the salvage, they run out of money or they encounter problems, they may damage the airplane, take off its wing or disassemble it, and then leave. And if that happens, then the plane will not be as valuable for tourism, and they also will not get anything. With tourism nothing is done to it. It's not removed, it's not damaged, all people do is kiss and photo, that's all. People still get a very um, good amount of money from a group of just eight or nine tourists. Even just during the dry season, maybe three or four visits a year, after only two or three years they'll make as much money. But unlike the one-time payment, with tourism there's the opportunity to have it be a benefit forever. Salvagers claim that this airplane will fall apart or rot away in fact it sat in that swamp for 64 years and you saw the photos it looks amazingly intact yes some things are missing from it some things are rusted it's not going to fall apart it may not be a restorable airplane it will never fly again without being completely overhauled and stripped down and everything as a artifact it will remain uh, i would argue forever
0: have the salvages visited the swamp ghost
1: yes they have many people have visited the swamp ghost but no one has been allowed uh, remove anything from it or do any disassembly. So they're just there to visit it and look at it.
0: What's the process from here? I mean, what do we know about the situation that we're confronted with at the moment? Uh, we know that you know there has been negotiation, a proposal put in place for this and that and that. How long does it take before a decision is made? How do we know a decision is made? And and your efforts at this point in time, you know, what has it come to?
1: And like I said, this proposal to salvage the airplane has been on the table for many years. In fact, the salvagers claim they have a memoranda of agreement, but after all the passage of years, they have never done anything with it. I'm not exactly sure of what the museum's stance is at this very moment, but they have delayed the issue to consider it more. And I'm hopeful, um, especially with um, you know doing interviews like this, that people will, their awareness will be raised and they will um, contact the museum, they'll contact the uh, Minister of Culture and Tourism, and let their views be known. If it is salvaged, then no wreck in the country, everything is less intact than the Swamp Ghost. It's the best one. So if you take away the best one, everything else will be very easy for people to come along and say, Well, we want to buy it for this amount or whatever. And I I instead believe the future of PNG is having people come here. Tourists come to this country to spend their money. Like myself, visitors to this country, they get hooked. I think it's in PNG's interest to have that money spent here in both the Port Moresby Museum, and also in the Living Museum, that is the entire country.
0: How much, say, do the villages have at this issue at this point in time?
1: Uh, they're still supportive of tourism. I will do everything in my power to help them. I have not asked them, well, if I bring in one tourist, you must give me this amount back. This is all for them. And the reason that I feel that way is not because I'm a rich man myself, I'm only a young man, but I believe in this history, and I believe it's the right thing to do. And What I am giving them is my um, expertise about the history and my um, skills and attention and for them to benefit off of because their dreams are about building schools and think it's the best way that history can can affect the future.
0: It seems somehow, Justin, that the authorities are sort of untouchable at this point in time in our discussion so far, that there hasn't been any dialogue directly between You, Mackie Mouse, Roland Lopless, you know, um, being a spokesperson for them, or even they themselves, you know, the village elder and everybody else with the authorities of the National Museum Modern History. Is that the case so far? Has there been some contact?
1: Well, that's a good question. I would uh, urge you maybe in a future program to bring in a museum official and ask them some of these same questions. Uh, I, of course, can't speak for them. What I'd like to see the museum do is give tourism a try, maybe for a year or two years, and in the end say, well what was the benefit of tourism versus what is the benefit of salvage. And if these salvagers have waited around for almost 20 years trying to salvage the plane, there'll always be people in the future who want to try and salvage it. If they change their mind want to sell it one day and someone has the right price, number one price, then so be it. Anything that's sold or exported to this country, like timber or minerals or history, it should be at the highest benefit for P&G. Just so sad to see a country like yours have these amazing assets that are sold for less than their true value. And that upsets me.
0: Obviously the authority here is, you know, the government through the National Museum, but has there been a thought about getting tourism involved in some sort of discussion and weighing out the pros and cons as well?
1: Um, That's a great idea, and uh, um, I'm not sure exactly what their official stance is, but of course they're pro-tourism, and I would think that given the evidence of um, existing tourism and the possibilities for the future, like I said, it's very simple when you look at tourism over a few years. It equals the amount of money that uh, a village would get by selling an object. And more importantly, it really serves to um, foster the museum's own motto, which is to preserve and protect the history of PNG.
0: The three surviving members of the, the crew of nine originally, do they know about this current situation that we're confronted
1: with? And the first question I said is, how do you feel knowing that your airplane that you flew in and they had this amazing escape from is still there. Each of them had very different views. One was sort of, he said, oh, well, it's interesting, but that was a long time ago. Another, um, he was he said, oh, it is truly a ghost because it looks so haunting. you know. And, of course, they're all too old to come and visit themselves. But all acknowledged that it's unique and it, that it's a special airplane. I explained to all of them about the tourism, and they were very happy about that. Mm. Also, they were very happy that people from all over the world, Australia New Zealand and Papua New Guineans, of course, had made this trip through that same area they did oh. as a tribute to them. Mm. So,
0: Great stuff. Now, you also mentioned the documentary, which is about 20 minutes long.
1: I was so captivated by the story of Swamp Ghost. I said, oh, it has to become a documentary. It took a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of people helped me, and anyone who's interested in it can see this movie, learn about it, and decide for themselves what they think should happen with this airplane.
0: We are going to watch it on television on Friday, uh, the 14th of April on TalkPixer with John Iggins
1: The documentary really covers the history of the airplane, the people who flew it, and also the journey of to go there. It starts with the day the airplane was built in the factory in America. Then you meet the crew members, the three who are still alive, who flew it. The story is really told through the crew members, and then afterwards tells a bit about my journey to try and visit the airplane
0: now tell me when was this bomber um, now we know as a swamp ghost manufactured or built
1: on december 6th 1941 and that is an interesting day in american history because the following day december 7th america was bombed by the japanese at pearl harbor so this airplane and like i said it was at the time a very high-tech bomber and it cost um, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build. Um, So even then, uh, it was very valuable, and it was a very high-tech piece of equipment. The thing that people don't really know about is when America got involved in World War II, Australia and New Guinea were the first places they were fighting. So the first people arrived here um, had really limited supplies, and the fighting in 1942 especially was very very um intense all right so it's
0: 65 years to date 2006 since of course manufacturing of uh, that particular bomber the swamp ghost 1941 is the year you gave so 65 years put into 20
1: minutes it will air on mtv on april 14th at 8 p.m i'm very happy about that because um it will fulfill my dream to have this story told to the wider audience of people in png and i believe it will immediately raise awareness Of um, the history of this airplane, and also be a very good story about um, the history uh, of World War II aviation here in in this country, and also how local people are related to that.
0: And it'll be viewers on the 14th of April because it'll be on television. Tell us about
1: that. Uh, MTV has agreed to show it on April uh, 14th at 8 p.m. on the Talk Picture show, Uh, so I'm really looking forward to. to that and as well to see the documentary shared with PNG to raise the understanding and appreciation of war history here.
0: Mm, how can anyone get in touch with you, Justin?
1: I have a webpage about the Swamp Ghost with a lot of the information we talked about, www.theswampghost.com.
0: Well, it's been great having you. My utmost pleasure. This is the first of its kind we've had on Community Hour, but it was all worth it and we look forward to watching it as well. On the fourteenth of April on M T V, John Eggins' Talk Pizza, Knocking ting, And I hope the next time you drop by or you come into PNG you'll be here in the studio at Karai. Thanks again, Justin.